adhering to structure and you get chaos my friend shadow man was a tap dancing hamburger that he made. i don't know that place just had like a weird feeling the whole time i was there you fucking suck dude put this in your fucking like huge which is like your hot tentacle first grabbed jim's right arm and then his left his arms were pulled from their sockets it was like pulling off a fly's wing Welcome back to Spooky Boners, a family podcast. I'm John Prout, and today we have Catherine Prout, Larry Prout, also known as Mom and Dad, king and queen of the Spooky Boner family. I've always wanted to be queen. <laughs> well, now you're royalty. Oh, glad to be here, John. Just need my crown. So um, I'm really excited about today's episode. It is our first short story. I've always enjoyed short stories. Looking over at my books on the shelf there, I have the one, Dad, you actually got me, the mm-hmm. Stephen King just after sunset. I'm thinking about it. Growing up, we it seems like we were always telling stories as kids, back and forth. I don't know if they're good or not, but now it's like a lot of those memories are starting to turn into, I guess, some of our material. Mm-hmm. So when 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 did this all actually begin? Um, I want to say that when you guys were really little, um, we lived in a small house and we had a lot of little kids and not a lot to do sometimes in town. So we'd go outside on our front porch with the porch swing, and we used to piggyback. We would start a story. Someone would start it, and then we would have each one of our kids piggyback. We ended up with six kids, but this is when we had four kids. Right. So someone would start the story, and then someone would come into the next part. We always started with, a long time ago, before there were trees, man lived in the forest. We're going to try to get a little better setting this time. <laughs> but, uh, and I'm sure there was probably a thunderstorm rolling in the background. Yes. That's why I remember growing up downtown yeah. Howell, yeah. similar to the weather we have today. Yeah. Your story, you always started a story with um, the tale of the Johnny Darter part six, and then you'd say Arnold Jackson, and, and you'd go into your story. Well, maybe he'll make an appearance yeah. in one of these episodes yeah. coming up. So what about you, Dad? So it seems like a lot of us get our love for monsters, and I have a Frankenstein poster behind you. Why did you get into like sci-fi and all that? Why'd you decide to be a different kid? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, uh, you know, back to the storytelling, I think uh, my dad did tell stories, too, as when when we were growing up. And then I just kind of fell into the monster genre as a kid. You know, again, that was like in the back of the 70s, and Bigfoot was always being talked about, UFOs, uh, paranormal stuff. You had In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy was on TV, all that cool, freaky stuff. And that, as a kid, I thought was great. (laughs) So where did you get the inspiration for today's story without giving too much of it away? Well, you know, uh, I take a lot of breaks at home, you know, with my liver disease and... um, Help me out, Kat. His health issues. He has to lay down a lot so that he can get the blood back into his brain and he can think. So that's why sometimes. uh, Yeah, so I was uh, just on Facebook, and I happened to see this post about the way the squid was prepared, a dish you can get in Japan. So, and I got looking at that thinking, wow, that's really weird. (laughs) No offense to people who like Japanese food, but it was... It, it kind of freaked me out, and that kind of just got me thinking. I couldn't get out of my head, and then it kind of turned into a story in my head. Awesome. Well, really excited. Um, that article, by the way, I did post on my Facebook, but check it out. Now, without any further ado, why don't you go ahead and take us into the very first short story, From the Lore of Spooky Boners. 
Well, here we go. This is the dancing squid. Hope you enjoy it. When I was a kid, I loved the giant monster movie genre. I loved all the monsters created by the Japanese movie studio, the Toho Company. I watched these movies on Channel 7 and on our TV. This was back in the 1970s. We had a TV with an antenna. There were no DVDs, YouTube, or even VHS tapes. No, sir. This was back when you had to get up off the couch, change the channel on your TV. If we were lucky, we might get 8 to 10 TV channels, maybe 4 to 5 channels that would actually come in clear depending on the weather. Channel 7 came in really clear, no static or what we would call snow. Channel 7 had a TV spot during the school week known as the 4 o'clock movie. When it was Godzilla week on the 4 o'clock movie segment, I would get home from school around 2.30, eat a snack, maybe do some homework or play with friends. If I was in the middle of playing a made-up game with my friends or digging a hole to make a fort with my friends, and it got close to 4 p.m., I would announce to everyone, I gotta go. The 4 o'clock movie is going to be on. It's Godzilla week. To some of them, I'm sure I sound like a real dork. Actually, I know I didn't because I would hear a few moans and groans after my announcements. They had no interest in the cheesy Japanese monster movies, but I do remember some of my pals being dorky like me. I distinctly remember some of my friends hopping on their bikes and pedaling as fast as they could to get home and watch Godzilla Week. I'm 53 years old now, and I've been married 32 years to my beautiful wife, Kathy. We have six adult children. During our kids' childhood, I introduced them to, you guessed it, Godzilla movies. Monster movies in general. Godzilla was as much part of our kids' childhood as he was part of mine. So much that we love to attend the Godzilla convention in Chicago, when we can get all off at the same time of our busy schedules. It was in 2018 that we all attended a Godzilla convention. Amidst all the Godzilla paraphernalia, costumes, and special guest panels, there was a raffle. The prize was an all-expense trip for two to Japan. Specifically, a tour to see all the areas that Godzilla stomped on in the movies. The ticket cost 20 bucks. That seemed like a lot of money, but what a cool trip. Besides, the money for the raffle was being used for autism research, and at the time, I was a special education teacher working with kids with autism. All of a sudden, the 20 bucks seemed like a reasonable price to pay for a ticket. It was a win-win. After we got back to Michigan from the Godzilla convention in Chicago, I had forgotten all about buying the raffle ticket. It wasn't until about a week later that I got a phone call that I had won an all-expense trip to Japan for two. I was so excited. It was funny. There I was, 52 years old, living my childhood dream, heading to Japan to see all the areas that a fictitious monster stomped through. Really pretty dorky. Kathy and I had never really traveled much. With six children and one of them with complex medical issues, vacations for just the two of us were unheard of. But soon we were touching down in Tokyo, Japan. We gathered our luggage from the airport, caught a cab, and headed to our hotel. I won't spend too much time telling you about our trip and sightseeing in Japan where Godzilla wrecked many buildings and fought his foes in all of his movies. That would take too long. But I will tell you that this trip is a real thing. Just like Star Wars and Star Trek fans have their thing, we Godzilla fans have ours. And this trip was awesome. Kathy put up with my Godzilla fun, and I love her for that. 
The trade-off was that she got to take a real vacation for five days right in the middle of Tokyo, Japan. On the eve of one of the last days of the trip, Kathy and I went down from our hotel room to the restaurant located near the lobby there. We met up with Jim and Amy. We had first met Jim and Amy on the Godzilla tour bus. They were on the Godzilla trip as well. The four of us sat down at a table where we ordered a few sodas and conversed. Jim and Amy were from Minnesota. Jim was 40 years old. He had worked as a carpenter for the last 20 years. Amy was a 38-year-old kindergarten teacher, for, and she had taught for about 20 years. The couple had two boys that attended high school and a girl in junior high school back in Minnesota. The four of us were all having a good time talking about our families, movies, and Godzilla. I was getting hungry. It was time to order some food. So we all started looking at the menus before us. When it comes to eating, I like the usual hamburger, pizza, fried chicken, or steak. Kathy is pretty much the same. Some of our adult children like sushi, which I find disgusting. I like my food cooked. In Japan, eating raw seafood is part of the culture. But lucky for me, there was a simple dish of rice and chicken. Cooked chicken, that is. Uh, so I would be really happy with that. Don't get me wrong, I love seafood, but mostly deep fried. Except for boiling king crab. I could crack crab all day. So Kathy and I played it safe and ordered the rice and chicken. Amy did the same. Jim? Well, Jim ordered orodugai, which means literally dancing eating in Japanese. Many seafood dishes in Japan are eaten while the animal is still alive. Here's some research I did on food in Japan before Kathy and I left for our trip. I was curious on what was available. While doing some research, I came across this information on some types of food that's prepared in Japan. Ikazurki translates to prepared alive and refers to a method of consumption in which the chef prepares sashimi from a live squid or fish and shrimp or even octopus or frog. Diners are asked to choose their selection from a tank in a restaurant and watch the chef prepare it with the idea that the fresher the squid, the better the taste. The technique called Ike-jim is designed to use as few cuts as possible in order to minimize the suffering of the creature, whose pain creates a buildup of lactic acid and lowers meat quality. Squid ikazuri katsu ikadori don have a few different differences. However, ikazuri prepares the squid while it's still alive, sliced in three cuts and served in a simple sashimi style, often still twitching. The katsu ikadori don uses one cut to remove the head of the squid, which is then served atop a bed of noodles and rice. Guests are encouraged to pour the soy sauce onto the body of the squid and watch the squid dance. The sodium in the soy sauce is absorbed into the creature's body. It triggers muscular spasms that appear to make the cephalopod dance. All this I find very macabre and revolting. Oh, what we do to animals. I grew up hunting and fishing in Michigan, and I still do to this day. I hunt deer and small game. I always try for a quick, clean kill for my quarry. I only take what I can use. I try not to waste any of the meat. I mean, it's not like I'm catching sharks and cutting off their fins and throwing them back into the sea to die a slow death finless. I remind myself that I don't travel much, and this is part of the country's culture. But still, I ordered the chicken and rice. Thank you very much. 
Jim ordered the Katsu Ika Dori Don, meaning the headless squid, which would start dancing on his rice after he applied the magical ingredient, soy sauce. So as we all ate our well-cooked rice and chicken, Jim had a merry old time with his entree. He got his big bowl of rice brought to him with the raw headless squid resting on top of the bowl of rice. I stopped eating and found myself staring at Jim's meal as he applied the soy sauce to the squid. As soon as the soy sauce was poured onto the headless squid, the squid's tentacles thrashed, whipped around on top of the rice as if it was frantically still fighting for its life. I heard Kathy and Amy gasp as the rice flew from Jim's bowl onto the table as the squid twisted and squirmed. Jim sat giggling as he added more and more soy sauce to make the squid dance. This whole scene nauseated me. Even though I knew the squid was dead, it just seemed so cruel and wrong. Jim did finally eat the squid and rice. I noticed Kathy didn't finish her meal, and I really couldn't finish mine, so after a few sodas, we were about to say goodnight. But then Jim asked if we would like to go scuba diving in the morning. I never scuba dived before, but as a kid, I did a lot of snorkeling on the Asabo River over in Michigan. I would find old lures while snorkeling. I found a rusty old hammer on the bottom of the river as a kid. Now that was a great find. My only issue was swimming past the drop-off in the river. There was a steep drop-off in parts of the Asabo River. You would be swimming in about 6 to 10 feet of crystal clear river water. Then all of a sudden the river bottom became a steep drop-off into a dark abyss. My imagination would run wild with ideas of what could be lurking in the darkness in the deep water off the drop-off. Once I got real brave and snorkeled over the drop-off while floating on the surface of the river, I looked down and was scared shitless when I saw a dark form below me. It was just a huge tree lying on the bottom of the river, but at that moment, that tree looked like some sort of huge creature just below me. That was terrifying. Jim explained that the water we'd be swimming in would be crystal clear and not very deep. He said there would be many species of beautifully colored fish that we would see. That sounded really cool and also like a safe thing to do. It's not very deep, water's clear. Kathy and I have never done anything like that before, so we agreed to scuba dive with Jim and Amy the next morning. Back up in our room, Kathy and I got ready for bed. We didn't talk about Jim's dancing squid, but I couldn't get that image out of my head. The thrashing of rice and the squirming of the tentacles. I listened to my podcast on my phone to get rid of that image in my mind. I soon drifted off to sleep. The next morning, we rode a bus to the Izu Peninsula, about an hour and a half trip from our hotel. Jim called ahead and had our dive already set up. When we arrived, we met our diving guides for the day. Their names were Akinari and Azuku. After about 15 minutes of instruction, we all boarded Akinari and Azuku's boat. The ocean was pretty calm with some light chop. The wind was light and the day was sunny and very warm. Seabirds flew above our heads and the boat glided effortlessly across the water. I looked back to the shore. It was getting smaller and smaller as we traveled out to sea. After about a 20-minute boat ride, Akinari slowed the boat to a stop. We all got ready to get into the water. As we were getting ready, the boat raised up gently and settled back down. We all looked at each other. Up until now, the ocean had been pretty calm. An awkward silence came over the group until Akinari said that that bump was probably some kind of pressure wave from something swimming under the boat, like a small whale or a group of dolphins. Jim made a few jokes about what it could be. He thought maybe a nuclear sub. Everyone started laughing, which broke the tension. But I was feeling a little uneasy. Akinari gave us a few more instructions. Izuku was going to accompany us on the dive. 
He helped us all get into the water. The air tanks, the face masks were a bit cumbersome. We took it slow at first, but soon swimming just below the surface was effortless. It was only about 50 feet deep where we were diving, and we all seemed to be getting comfortable in our new surroundings. Before diving, Izuku instructed us to stay close to him. We made our way slowly to the ocean floor, seeing many beautiful fish. Kathy was by my side, Jim, Amy, and Izaku swam just ahead of us. A dolphin swam in the distance. It kind of freaked me out, as the dolphin was the biggest creature I'd ever seen underwater. Once on the ocean floor, we saw many sea creatures. It was fantastic. I looked above me and I could see fish swimming. I could also make out the bottom of our boat. I looked over to my right. About 50 yards away was the thing I dreaded the most. The ocean floor dropped off into blackness. A drop-off. No way was I going to swim in that direction. Izaku made a gesture with his hand as he pointed out a really neat-looking crab to the group. I looked over to see Jim's reaction to the crab. That's when I noticed he was missing from the group. I looked to my right and saw Jim swimming just over the drop-off. He was slowly hovering over the drop-off, looking into the blackness. As I watched Jim, I saw movement just on the other side of the drop-off. I wasn't sure what I was looking at. I was caught off guard. Staring at something moving slowly towards Jim, I just sat and watched while I tried to understand what I saw. The shape grew larger. Was it a whale? There seemed to be many moving parts. Maybe it was a group of dolphins. An eye appeared. Was it an eye? It was as big as a car tire. My brain scrambled to make sense of what I was looking at. The eye got closer to Jim, and then I saw something come over from the dark black water and into the light of the more shallow water. It was a tentacle. Huge. Then more tentacles, all the size of telephone poles. What I was looking at became dreadfully clear. It was a giant squid. I started to breathe faster and faster. I was unable to move. A tentacle first grabbed Jim's right arm, and then his left. His arms were pulled from their sockets. It was like pulling off a fly's wings. Jim was left struggling to swim with no arms within the cloud of his own blood. He kicked his legs frantically as I watched. It looked like he was performing some sort of grotesque dance. Jim looked like he was dancing. Then the massive animal reached out with one of its club arms, grabbed Jim by his torso, and stuffed him into the middle of where all those tentacles began. Jim was being eaten alive. I felt a jolt from behind me. Someone or something grabbed my shoulder and spun me around. It was Azaku. He motioned for me to swim up to the surface. I looked up and could see Amy and Kathy already ascending. Azaku's hand on my shoulder unfroze my body. I started frantically swimming up, terrified that it would not reach the surface, but would instead be dragged down by the squid. Once we made it to the surface, we were all coughing and choking. Akinari was visibly confused as he pulled us into the boat. Azaku motioned frantically to start the boat and leave. The boat flew across the ocean like a fighter jet at full speed. I looked over at Kathy and Amy. Kathy had her arm around Amy as Amy wept hysterically. I was still in shock when a thought crossed my mind. I will never eat seafood again. (laughs) 